0: Hey, everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. This podcast is presented by BlockWorks Group, the only blockchain event and media production company I trust. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into the crypto and blockchain space. Visit them at blockworksgroup.io. I promise you won't be disappointed. Today is a fantastic day. And it has nothing to do with the podcast actually. It's because today is National Donut Day and um I just had two awesome donuts and so I'm a little hyped up on sugar. But the second reason why this is a fantastic day and we're taking a little bit of a of a different approach here on Untold Stories Usually on Untold Stories, we have guests and talk about some of the things that went on in the past of crypto to understand where we're going for the future. And we have um, guests you know, ranging from, from high-powered CEOs to people that you never knew even existed. Today, we're very fortunate to have um, our guest, Ben Mesrick, who I've been reading his book since I was a kid, like bringing down the house and... Um, his most recent one before Bitcoin Billionaires, Ugly Americans, um, Busting Vegas. You guys have 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 heard of um, his books. Frequently become movies. Um, Kevin Spacey did uh, Twenty One, which is a a movie that we've all seen as kids, and The Social Network, which was everyone known as the the Facebook movie. Ben, thank you for so much for coming on the show.
1: Hey, I'm thrilled to do this with you.
0: So this is this is very cool for me because. Um, <clears throat> you are considered now a crypto historian. How does that feel?
1: You know, it's a, it's a new place for me. Um, I, I come to this as an outsider, as you know, um, but it's, it's awesome. Can I just say, it's very cool that you're interviewing me. I don't think I've ever had a character I've written about interview me before.
0: That's, that's brilliant. It's the first time for everything.
1: <laughs> you know, I really,
0: I really enjoyed, um, so, so for our listeners, uh, check out Bitcoin Billionaires. It's the next uh, book in the in the in the saga of of the. Would you consider it a, consider it a sequel of the Accidental Billionaires?
1: Well, you know, it's it's not technically a sequel to the Social Network, but it certainly starts where the Social Network ends, and it follows the Winklevoss twins from there. But I I do think I'm kind of writing a Bitcoin trilogy or a, a billions trilogy, which started with. Facebook and now has moved into Bitcoin and then it's going to move into wherever it goes next. But yeah, I I think it definitely follows from the social network if it's not a sequel.
0: So the book just came out a few weeks ago and it follows the story of Cameron Tyler Winklevoss. It follows my story, Charlie Shrem, and it follows the intertwining of Eric Voorhees and Roger Veer and the kind of pulling in opposite directions of the um, mainstream movement versus the libertarian anarchist movement and kind of the, the funny characters um, that really um, shaped and did a lot of crazy shit in the early days of crypto. And it's such a great book and I read it and usually, so I'll be honest with you. I don't like reading books that I'm in. I don't like listening to speeches that I've done. I just, it creeps me out. Um, I skimmed through digital gold and I didn't really actually didn't really like it at all. Um, I hope Nathaniel's not listening to this podcast, (laughs) but um I really enjoyed, I enjoyed your book. I read it all in one day. I well, was texting you as I was reading it.
1: I mean, it's incredible for me to hear. Trying to capture someone like you, who is a complicated character, um, to say the That's least. That's an understatement. Yeah. yeah. It's, 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 it's incredible to hear afterwards, because I had no idea what you would think of the portrayal in the book. Um, Nathaniel Popper is a wonderful journalist. He's a very different type of writer than me. And what I'm trying to do is sort of capture that moment in history and make it alive and 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 like a movie and i wanted to get you right because in a lot of ways um you're a character that a lot of people can see themselves in but also it tells the story of bitcoin very vividly through through your story or the, the origins of bitcoin um so i wanted to get you right and uh and it's incredible to hear that at least you liked it which is which is good
0: yeah i feel like you did um in 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 a larger sense You know, my wife was reading it and she was like, no way that you dated a Bulgarian supermodel. (laughs) She's like, I know. I know that's like, like crazy. But Um, you did
1: throw up on someone's shoes.
0: So, excuse me. Yeah. So I definitely, that happened. Um, I definitely threw up on my shoes and I threw up on the bar and I threw up on like at least two other pairs of shoes. (laughs) I'll never remember it. And... And that whole story, and then sh- go, going to their apartment and doing something stupid or saying something stupid to the girls that were there, and basically them getting up and leaving. And I don't know why that actually, like what I said or what I did, but they're really all important because it shows how unprepared I was for the realities of the world that I was entering into. Right. Right. And it wasn't just about the social world, it was going into business meetings or really being taken seriously. And it wasn't just me. I feel like I was representing the larger crypto community at the time that really didn't know um, how to be big boys or big girls.
1: Yeah. And that's one of the cool things about sort of the origins of crypto is the people who stumbled into it first were very young, like you, or were people who came from different worlds and found each other on the internet. It was online, right? And even who, whoever had access to these crypto boards or the places that you saw at first were not, you know, businessmen in suits, right? It wasn't people who were building companies already or were on Wall Street. It was people, you know, like you. We, we talk about you being in your mother's basement because, you know, it's a, it's a great starting place. But, but that's really what it was like, right? I mean, you stumbled into this really young.
0: Mostly by accident. Uh, luck, right place at the right time.
1: Right. And, and I mean, that to me is one of the fascinating things about Bitcoin. And then you, you, you juxtapose that on the Winklevoss twins who come from a very different world. You know, they, they come from a, a billionaire family. They're, they're men of Harvard. They come out of this crazy conflict with Mark Zuckerberg. And they come into Bitcoin at a very different point than where you came into Bitcoin. Um, and I think that, that juxtaposition of their world and your world you know, it, it leads to real good drama.
0: I have to say that I didn't I didn't know the severity of the whole thing with them and Mark until I read Bitcoin Billionaires because the social network and I guess because a lot of, it was so ongoing and a lot of the information didn't come out until later on. But when right. watching the movie The Social Network, you see that there was this issue and it leaves it up to you of who you think was right, but there isn't enough data for you to make uh, a qualified um, um a qualified decision in your brain of who actually really should deserve the credit of founding Facebook was it Cameron Tyler or Mark right? And but right. then in Bitcoin billionaires, there's a lot more data and a lot more information, and it really doesn't paint Mark in a very good light.
1: <laughs> no, he comes off very bad, so these instant messages came out after. The social network in which it's very clear that at the least Mark led them on, lied to them, and then there's the famous quote where he planned to fuck them in the ear, and so he he planned to sort of screw them over, and that comes out in these instant messages, which were never part of the original story. Um, there's no question that Mark built Facebook. I mean, the, the Winklevoss twins were you know did something. Mark worked for them for a little while. And then went off and built Facebook. And, and Mark is the genius behind, you know, the development of Facebook. But at the very beginning, he worked with the twins, he listened to their ideas, and then he strategically uh, screwed them over uh, by not letting them know what he was really doing and then launching Facebook without telling them in a way that they couldn't ever catch the, up. The
0: key word there is intent. Right. I feel and, like there was
1: intent. I think there was, but, you know, in a legal battle, who knows who wins that story? I mean, there's no question that marks, you know, the line from the movie, if you would have built Facebook, you would have built Facebook. That's definitely clear. But, you know, what do they deserve? What, what should they have ended up with? You know, it's, it's, a, it's a muddier question. They did end up with $65 million, which they took in stock instead of cash. That
0: was a very smart move.
1: Right. To the dismay of their lawyers, who they ended up having a lawsuit with their own lawyers because their lawyers... We're, we're back-channeling with Facebook trying to get them not to take the the cash, or at least that's that's from there. Because their the lawyers
0: wanted the cash too? The right. They
1: wanted cash. Them. They wanted their piece. So it ended up being the lawyers got their cash up front, um, and the twins took theirs in stock. And uh, and then the twin stock ended up being worth many hundreds of millions of dollars when Facebook IPO'd. So they did well, um, but there's there's no question that Zuckerberg's intent was not great.
0: And so as they're, as they're coming out of this is when I first met them and I feel like if I had known this, I would have been a lot more sensitive to them in their emotions because they're, they're brilliant, you know, and I've, I've told them they're, they're very smart people, um, both of them, um, and they both have different strengths in different places, but they let their emotions get in the way of their own judgment and it makes them do things that um, us rationally maybe would or wouldn't do and and that could be for better or for worse but my mistake is and was um, not taking them seriously enough and not listening to them because you have to understand I had just I think like months before I met them I had seen the movie and so my whole portrayal of them was Arnie Hammer. Right. <laughs> and so when I'm meeting them, I'm thinking them as dumb money. I'm thinking yeah. they're just guys who have a bunch of money off this Facebook lawsuit and they're going to put money into BitInstant, my company, and I'm going to and I'm starstruck. Yeah, they're celebrities. But, you know, you take celebrities seriously for like five minutes and then you move on. But you don't you don't hold them in super high regard. Right. If I had had a better and actually done my due diligence, if I had a better then I would have listened to them. So the times where they said, "Charlie, you need to replace yourself as CEO. Um, this company is getting too big for you," or when they had wanted me to go to training of how to, you know, that you know, they sent me to like um, training of how to, how to be, um, right. get be like a, a speaker. I would have taken that a lot more seriously, and that's my mistake. I'll live with that.
1: Right, but you know, part of. The characterization, and I take credit for this, and in Bitcoin Billionaires I think I make it pretty clear that I think I got the Winklevoss twins wrong when I wrote Accidental Billionaires. And then when Aaron Sorkin turned it into the social network and Army Hammer, who by the way is a brilliant actor and played that part so he did. incredibly well. He really did. But it was it was based on my telling of, of who they were and and I saw them as that when I first met them. You know, I met them in a hotel room in New York. They walk in; they're like something out of Greek mythology. You know, they don't look like normal people, and you immediately flash back to all the '80s movies. And I put the line in there: they look like the guys in the skeleton costumes chasing the Karate Kid around the gym, because yeah. to me, that, that's that's how they immediately appeared. So, in the story, they're the alpha jocks going up against the the nerd, you know, Zuckerberg. And so they come off uh, one note. You know, they come off as these these guys, and so. It, to be fair, it wasn't just you, but every article written about them, every piece done over the next few years, pretty much made fun of them. You know, they were the big rowers, and they were they were not ever taken seriously um, until they got into Bitcoin. So, you know, you weren't the only one who who read them that way. Um, they're they're easy to judge when they walk into the room, uh, unless you actually listen to them. Um, it's easy to judge them based on how they look.
0: Will there be another movie?
1: Yeah, this will be a movie for sure. And uh, you know, there's always there's already discussion about who would play you. <laughs>
0: Who's gonna play me? I, you know,
1: I I have some ideas. What do you think? Who I, would you want? To play I, you? Shia, Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf would be awesome. He's still <laughs> he's still out there. I haven't seen. Him I don't know, but he, I feel like he always he
0: looks a little bit like you think me. What do Jonah Hill.
1: Jonah Hill. He's been so good in everything.
0: Jonah Hill would be fantastic playing me. Yeah, don't you think he'd win an Oscar? And we he's look an like Oscar
1: playing you. I think. But um, who he would win an Oscar playing you Jonah Hill.
0: Oh man, yeah. that would be great. I need tickets to that. No, though. you're
1: going to be at the premiere. Everything's going to, would... you and the twins are going to, going to be sitting next to each other. So, uh... so,
0: <laughs> and I think, I think the relationship between me and I hope, and if they're listening to this, I hope they, they agree that I think the relationship with, with Cameron and Tyler will, will um get better over time. Just like, I hope that the relationship between my parents gets better over time well
1: that's an intense thing and i and i know you're interviewing me but for me the story about you and your family no this
0: is untold stories come at me okay
1: good the the story of you and your family and and i have to tell you when my mom read the book she you were her you know she felt so much for you because she grew up in brooklyn you know orthodox jewish community as did my dad but what you grew up with was much harsher i mean you lived in a world you know the syrian jewish community from what you described it to me it with the edict, the idea that you could be excommunicated, right, for dating outside your your world, it's it's really intense where you came from, um, and it's it's one of the most poignant parts I think in the book is how your family life is destroyed, um, not not just because you know you got in trouble, but because of you wanted to live a bigger life. I guess I, I don't know how how best to describe that, but just dating, you know, it wasn't just Bitcoin. It was, it was so much more, right? It was,
0: it was everything. It was wanting to even just question and think for myself. It was wanting to, it was some basic things like I couldn't even apply to schools outside of where there are major Jewish communities. So I want, I was thinking about going to schools in like Texas colleges. First of all, the concept of going to college wasn't big back then. It is more now um, I see back then, like 2004, 2005, but just going to a college outside of a major Jewish community was my parents said no way. And they held all the cards because I had to live under their thumb because of money. Right. And so from a very young age, my goal was to become financially independent. And when that happens, I will be able to finally do what I want. But at the same time, when that did happen, um, it made it worse. And so it's interesting that you bring that up with the with the community. And because I'm already out, you know, I can talk about it. You know, and there's good and bad in that community. But it's funny that nowadays when you, when you Google like the Syrian Jewish community, the SY community, there's only one real article. And that was a New York Times article written in like 2001. Right. And that's the only – and that was a very long form, huge article. It was a New York Times like – Sunday and it's called the And the art, title of the article is the SY Empire right. and it revealed a lot and it was able to reveal a lot because the 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 primary source of that article was the uh, exiled son of the chief rabbi of the community he was the source of the article and when I read that article in 2001 I was reading it from inside wow. and everyone in my community was like yeah, this article's so bad. It's all lies and and every and, and this and Casson, whatever his name is, Saul Casson is terrible. I can't believe he would say these things. So the New York Times of all people, and we should we should ostracize him even more and and sue him, all these different things. The community was like like an uproar. Like that article was banned from school synagogues. It was like banned. Like you couldn't even have it in the house. And when I read the article of the SY Empire, I'm reading it and I'm saying Shit, this stuff is true. And this is true. And and like I'm reading it and I'm saying to myself, I you know, like this is this is crazy. Um and I didn't want to I'll I'll be honest with you, I didn't want to leave the right. community. I never my, my intention was never to leave. My intention was never to have bad relationships with people. Um my intention was to to live the life that I just wanted to live, which is the life that everyone wants to live. You just want to live your right. own life, right? And now, it's interesting because I have a lot of friends that I grew up with that I, I lost for years, years. Like, these were kids that I was best friends with from the age of five, you know, my whole life. And I lost them all when I turned 20 or 21. And Now, some of them are coming back. And there was one friend in particular who was one of my best friends. And he lives in L.A. now. So he's like kind of out of the community. And when I was on that trip a few weeks ago, we reconnected and I'll tell you something, we spent like three days together and it was like, we were never apart. Like we were just went back to the way it was. And it was really that, that changed a lot for me because I go to therapy for this stuff. And I, you know, I, 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 see therapists twice a week about this and I deal with PTSD from coming out of prison and everything, but that hanging out with that friend was such a, a pivotal moment and a life-changing moment for me and mostly for Courtney, because she has such a negative, um, negative feelings towards the whole community thing.
1: Well, one of the, one of the things in the book, one of the stories is, you know, when you were arrested and, 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 and facing, you know, this, this crazy penalty and they said that you could get out on bail, but only your parents would take you in, but only if you broke up with Courtney. And it was kind of this crazy moment where you had to, I guess, pretend, right? It was a crazy, and
0: you you portrayed it in the book so perfectly. And I don't want to retell these stories because I want people to read the book. But I'm sitting, and it's so crazy how accurate you were about some of this stuff. I'm literally sitting in Metropolitan Correctional Center, and I'm sitting one side, and there's a big, thick piece of glass, and I'm holding the phone to my ear. And it's like my first day after being in solitary from being arrested. And my my attorney, Keith Rosenblum, I remember he, he, he told me, okay, I was like thinking that I was, so I'm in there and I'm talking to the guards and I'm saying to the guards like, yeah, what's my bail going to be? They're like, oh, it'll be a hundred grand. And I'm like, can I just write a check? You know, can I, <laughs> can I write a personal check to the government and be out? They're like, yeah, you'll be out at three o'clock, you know, you'll be good to go. And I'm like, Oh, all right, not too bad. So Keith picks up the phone and he said, yeah, you do you have a million dollars? And I was like, no. <laughs> and he said, well, you need a million dollars to get out of here. Like I've made an agreement with, this is the best deal you're going to get because the magistrate judge is going to do whatever the government says and the government wants you to be in there pending a trial. Like you can't leave. And I said, you can't leave. Um, And they said, and 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 so before my parents, we actually tried to get other people. I had friends and we call, and my lawyers were trying to pool my friends' assets together, but I none of my friends had enough assets to pool the million dollars together. And so my parents were the last resort. And so my parents he went to my parents and he said, Will you guys put the lien on your house? You know, give the government the lien on your house if Charlie runs away, then the government takes your house. Will you put the lien on your house Oh, no worries. Well, you put the lien on your house for, for the, um, for the bail. And my parents said, I I remember Keith came back to me and Keith, you know, Keith, he's seen a lot of crazy shit, you know, in his lo- legal life in his life life. But this was so, he couldn't even, he couldn't even like formulate the words. He was like, your parents said that you need to break up with your girlfriend. Is her name? karen Corey, what's what's her courtney you need to break up with your girlfriend that's one your parents said you need to attend synagogue every week and you need to live in their house and i'm like oh my god like my and all my parents are setting conditions for my pal
1: <laughs> it's insane so it's, i
0: just said yes
1: right and i mean Yeah. You didn't have a choice. And then you end up back in the basement, but under almost like you're in jail basically.
0: Yeah. It was worse. Yeah. And so I'm in my parents' basement and I had to break up with her and we would FaceTime every day. And, you know, if my parents would come downstairs, I would throw the phone in the, in the, um, in the um, drawer, you know, and try to hide it. But then my parents did find out, and I'm not sure if, if this was written in the book, because there was um there wasn't really much sources because I was lucky to have the judge he sealed the hearings right um, but there was a whole nother fight and crazy stuff that went on after that
1: yeah I didn't end up putting that I remember you did tell me that other stuff but um, for me that was kind of uh, you know the story aggression yeah <laughs> that was a lot that was a lot right there and um, I mean it's fascinating your 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 story is such it, it it segues so much with the Bitcoin story because in the way I tell it anyways, there really is this battle between the people who formed Bitcoin, the sort of this libertarian, and some of them tended more towards the anarchists who really saw Bitcoin as maybe bringing down the banks, bringing down the governments, but a way that not of the mainstream. And that's where Silk Road comes in. And that's essentially where you know you got in trouble. And then you have Bitcoin now or where Bitcoin might end up which is in this mainstream world, a a financial instrument that even if governments don't like it, it's not there to bring down governments and banks. And you're that kind of that central story where you go right down the middle, ended up getting pulled in one direction. But you have the Winklevoss twins on one shoulder who are trying to be, I see them as trying to be mainstream, conservative, regulated Bitcoin. And then you have Roger and Eric, I guess, who are pulling it towards this libertarian drugs should be free and we should be able to buy them from bitcoin how bitcoin. is
0: roger doing Did so roger and i have him? not
1: i've not had any communication all i do is i see his twitter like everyone else does and uh you know he's he's very uh he's very uh controversial i guess would be the word he seems to be very you know into that world he believes firmly that there should be no military there should be no governments that that Property is. He, I mean, I. I don't know. I, I don't know him. You know him way better than I know him. Um, a
0: document, A documentarian reached out to me a month ago, asking if I can participate in a documentary about Roger. Wow. And, um, I emailed him back, and I. I emailed. I, I emailed them the same thing that I emailed you. Yeah. I said you need to get Roger's permission. Right. Um, before I come on and speak, you know about him. And it, it just didn't work. And then, so Roger messaged me and Roger said, you know, let's jump on a call. But, um, I got the feeling that, um, it wouldn't have worked out. Yeah. And I really, I'm really tired and I didn't want another documentary crew coming <laughs> to, to Florida You're
1: right out, now. After 60 minutes, probably. That was crazy. Um, it was Fantastic. I mean, you know, that's, that's the the level of press that you should be getting. And it was incredible. And I, I, so I did speak to Roger, obviously you helped me with that. And, you know, speaking to him, he's very charismatic. He's very smart. um, You know, very uh, interesting guy. And, and I think one of the great Bitcoin stories, my question to you is, you know, in the, in the, in the world now of Bitcoin, um, how do people perceive, uh, is it still very dominated by this sort of libertarian feel or has it shifted a lot more?
0: Okay, so it's a very good question. the The libertarian anarchist world has shifted into Bitcoin maximalism, mm. and you know the the libertarian anarchist early crypto people, um, or then you have myself and Eric who are who are more pragmatic. So I think mm. Eric and and I are similar in a way where we're we're capitalists. We're capitalists, and the capitalism is a fundamental libertarian or anarchist like tenement. And so in order to be capitalist, you should have the freedom to do whatever you want morally, of course, and ethically to to make money. And that means working with shit coins if you want to, you know, right. whatever you want, you know, and that's my right. That's my freedom. I, I should have the right to do whatever I want in terms of business. But then there's um, some of the earlier, Libertarian type people who are very defensive of Bitcoin at first are more Bitcoin maximalists, and and then you have the mainstream media world. What, and do, you t- ma-
1: what do you mean by maximalist? I mean you mean like
0: they're very against everything that's not Bitcoin, and they're very oh, okay. against everyone that's not Bitcoin. I get it, right. and that's their right. You know, if they if you want to be a Bitcoin maximalist, all the power to you. There's no reason that you shouldn't be able to decide and do whatever you want to do, um, but. But I speak to a lot of the early Bitcoin people, right? And I sp- I have had Jared Kenna on this show. You know Jared, and I've had mm-hmm. um, I've had some of the you know I'm having Mike Caldwell, the founder of Casius Coins, and I'm having um, you know, Tony Galippi from BitPay, um, and all these um, people. And then there are a lot of them that won't come on the show, like Gavin Gavin Andreessen who won't come on. Sorry, Gavin Anderson, he won't come on the show because for this for the reason I'll tell you is is burnout Um, and Jared feels it. I feel it a lot too, because the space has gotten so different. And I hate, you know, I hate to come up back up with this again because we've covered this topic on the show a few times, but the whole us versus them mentality has, has disappeared. So it used to be us versus them. And it's us as the crypto or the Bitcoin community. And even when Ethereum came out at first, Vitalik was still, and may be still, but Vitalik was still very much a Bitcoiner. In fact, he wanted to put Bitcoin, Ethereum, he wanted to put the idea of smart contracts and Ethereum on the Bitcoin blockchain. Hmm. And they were so against it at that point. And that should have been a red flag for me in 2014 that the community is changing. And the concept of doing layers on Bitcoin blockchain is now considered like, everyone is doing it. You have side chains, blocked stream. Um, you know, I'm going too deep into it. But what's, what Vitalik was proposing with Ethereum, doing it on Bitcoin is no, no different than what Bitcoin maximalists are, are calling for now. But it was too early back then. And so the, the community has changed and for better or for worse. Um, but then you have, and it's a shame because you have a lot of And I still don't get it. Maybe you can help me. I don't understand it. You have a lot of the newer crypto people, the newer crypto fame people, the people who have hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers who are Twitter personalities and ex Goldman Sachs, hedge fund, you know, Bitcoin capital companies, you know, that are um, meeting with all these banks and are hedge, all these like nouveau type of crypto people. And they won't retweet my show. They won't answer my emails. It's like, I'm still considered like blacklisted
1: well, in the I mean, whole Barry Silbert world. Right. That's a good question. I, I mean, I think, you know, you're an interesting character. But I'm not asking them for anything. Right. I think that some of these people probably come into it, you know, from these big banks and they're nervous about you because you're from the origins of Bitcoin and maybe, you know, they're trying to to trying to make Bitcoin very vanilla for the mainstream, right? And so they 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 might be hesitant to point back to where bitcoin really started. I don't know. I mean, I don't know the answer to that, and that's a good question. A very good point. Um, but you know, I mean, they're, they're, where bitcoin came from and where they're trying to take bitcoin might be two different places. Um, but
0: it's okay. No, I, I'm, I'm not different. acknowledging right. I'm not Yeah, it, it's important for us to remember the history of bitcoin and your book is that's exactly be right.
1: I feel like it's similar to when I wrote, you know, the book that became The Social Network. Facebook has gone very far from there. But the story of Facebook is really that first year. And I really feel like with Bitcoin, wherever Bitcoin ends up, the story to be told about Bitcoin is from zero to 10,000. And so, you know, it was that story that I, so no matter where Bitcoin ends up, I feel like Bitcoin billionaires will be the relevant history of Bitcoin. It's um, like the
0: Josephus. Right right um and so it's very important but
1: right so i I, I feel like you know you're one of the initial voices i mean you were the biggest star in bitcoin um you know 2013 right that's how it's sort of framed and it's like it's a really cool sort of way of seeing where bitcoin came from seeing it through you so so you being now one of the voices in the podcast world on it i think is awesome um because who knows the, the the beginnings of it better than you do um but I mean, it's interesting to see where Bitcoin is going to go. It's interesting how you talk about you know some of the people like you you know get this whole us versus thing. Well, for Bitcoin to succeed, it does have to become vanilla, I think uh, to some extent it has to be it has to shy away or shed away from the libertarian philosophy. and that's
0: okay that's that's totally listen that's totally fine with me. I'm not trying no to like, keep yeah to, to keep Bitcoin, and I'm sure most people aren't there are a few fringe people. But we understand that there's a there's a word, and it's called evolution, mm-hmm. and things evolve and change, and that's okay as, as long as the core t- the core principles of Bitcoin remain and, right. and its technology doesn't change. But
1: see, I, but, this is why I also find what Eric Voorhees is doing is is fascinating because you know he's building his company in America, right? You know, sure. So and yet his philosophy makes that difficult.
0: I find it interesting to believe that he tried to move. Outside of the country, a few times. So he he moved. He lived in Dubai, and then he moved to Panama. and And it's funny because when, when I I jokingly asked his wife, like, why did you guys move back from Panama back to Denver, and she jokingly said, it's because I there was only one brand of shampoo in the supermarket.
1: <laughs> so you know, right? I mean, it, so it's. I mean, I think he's an absolute genius, absolutely. And I think he's you know a very compelling character. And I and I agree with a lot of his philosophies, but I'm a pragmatist even more to the point where I would say listen if I get what you believe, but if you want to build what you want to build, you have to put that away. You know? And I know that's that, that sounds like a lack of integrity maybe. I don't know how that comes across. No,
0: it's not. It's not. And it goes back to exactly what I said when we first started this show. Right. I said that a lot of us follow these these principles of we're, we're capitalists right. and that's one thing, but I'm also ideological. So when I'm having ideological arguments about crypto, I'll be on this show talking to a shitcoiner, and I'm like, listen, Bitcoin is the end all be all. If Bitcoin fails, then all of crypto fails. And it's, it's, it's only Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the only decentralized one. Everything else is crap. Right. But then on the other side, I'm a capitalist. And if a company wants to hire me, to work for them and pay me a bunch of money to help them navigate the crypto world, I'm gonna do it.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Same thing yeah. like Eric. Right, right. I mean, it's it's an interesting thing, but you kind of have to divide yourself, you know, for it to succeed. So one of the questions I wanna ask you, and I've been getting asked this a sure. lot, is, you know, and everyone always asks this, but, but do you have an idea of who you think Satoshi is?
0: It's always changing. So it's always changing. I'll tell you what my first impressions were. My first impressions when I first got into Bitcoin was that it was a group of people. Um and that's what I thought for a while. But now there's kind of this conspiracy theory and I don't know if I believe the theory, but I kind of understand and it, it, the theory makes sense. I'll tell you what it is. There's this theory that Satoshi is actually this this brilliant um mathematician Slash, like, drug kingpin, arms trafficker, CIA, informer, asset type guy. And around the same time Satoshi disappeared, this guy went to jail. And so the reason Satoshi hasn't said anything or Satoshi hasn't moved his coins is because he's in jail right now.
1: That's an interesting concept.
0: And I don't know if I believe that but i never thought of the idea of maybe satoshi's already in jail because that's why he he hasn't said anything and there was that one time that so there was only there's only one time that satoshi came back and this was in 2000 and um uh 50, uh 2000 and um when was it 2017. 2017 or 2016 there was there was that whole fiasco when the news when what's her name from Newsweek said that Satoshi's Dorian Nakamoto, uh-huh, some right. older Japanese right. gentleman. And so in one of Satoshi's old aliases, and there's no, there's no um, proof. There's no evidence that this account is hacked because it hasn't said anything since that day. But one of Satoshi's old accounts came back and said, I am not Dorian Nakamoto. Uh-huh. And that's all he huh. said. And so it's very possible that Satoshi who's in jail cares enough to preserve the image of Satoshi as this mystical figure, but also doesn't want everyone to, but also his ego doesn't want people to believe that Satoshi is this, this guy, this other guy in, oh. in Japan, in, in, in California.
1: And, and one question, if Satoshi came forward, does he face like the possibility of, of, you know, being arrested for something involved in, in creating Bitcoin?
0: Maybe not in the United States, but Satoshi would always be walking around with, His head looking behind his, you know, looking over his shoulder, Um, especially in other countries, and then maybe in the United States down the road because he did create another currency, and that's like treasonous, right? Right. Right. Um, So you never know. And the thing is, I'll be honest with you: if Satoshi, if Satoshi never disappeared, we wouldn't even be talking about it. You would never even written a book about it. We'd be living in an alternate universe, because. The fact that there is no Satoshi go is is the whole point of Bitcoin. Bitcoin is no centralized authority. And it's not just the technological ability to change Bitcoin that's important. But when you have a centralized authority where people look up to, um, like, as a leader, then they'll do whatever he says. That's why you can say whatever you want about Ethereum, but because Vitalik is the leader no matter what happens if Vitalik says something it's mm. going to happen 100 percent. that's the way that's the way it works
1: so bitcoin needs to have no there needs to be no satoshi at least for, for a while
0: there needs to be no satoshi for for bitcoin to really exist but what other what other questions and what other feedback are you getting from the book so far you've done you've been doing a whole book tour I'm
1: doing a lot of publicity i mean in general you know the reception has been very positive and, and people and it's just finding its way now you know into the crypto world and and um um but overall you know it's definitely it's got a lot of people who didn't know anything about bitcoin to to buy bitcoin which i guess is a good thing for the general community um i think a lot of people you know are are very intrigued by the relationship of you and the twins um and uh you know i i, I don't know there's been tons of sort of basic questions about whether bitcoin can actually ever actually be a form of currency I think that the talk now is more that it's like gold, that it's more of a store of value than it is a useful currency. Um, Would you agree with that? Well, it's hard because... I mean, the volatility and, and it makes it very hard to see anybody using it for real.
0: Yes. And that's kind of an issue, although a lot of people in the maximalism world don't believe that that's an issue. So they see Bitcoin as this digital gold store of value. But something just doesn't become a digital gold store of value just because we say it does. It becomes it over time after enough people are using it, spending it and saving it. Eventually down the road it becomes and you can't skip those steps at all. It's a trifecta. If you don't have the store, if you don't have a mechanism of, of payment and it's not a unit of account and you can't be a store of value, it's like one plus one equals two. You can't have two without the one plus the one. And so, you know, Bitcoin is still and and will be a very good medium of exchange for moving large amounts of money very quickly and cheaply and securely. And it's like moving gold. So just like if you want to buy and sell gold and transact with gold, there's still some issues with it. But at the end of the day, you can still do it. And that's where they see bitcoin being
1: being used as that and the other big story you know that came out just as i was on book tour of course is that facebook is looking at doing a cryptocurrency
0: and now they met with cameron and tyler right and
1: that became a big part of it because as i i've said and i and i say it in the book and i actually i don't want to give it away but the book actually foretells that happening um i've always seen it as personal you know that there's no way mark zuckerberg is suddenly looking at crypto and not thinking in the back of his mind about the Winklevoss twins because they were there before him, and you know they've been known as the Bitcoin billionaires and and all that. Um, so a lot of people are asking, well, what will that do to Bitcoin? You know, does that is that a Bitcoin killer or does that prop the whole market up? Um, and uh, I think you could look at it both ways.
0: It'll be both. It'll be beneficial and negative. I don't think it'll be negative. It'll be Bitcoin doesn't really have down to go. You know, Bitcoin was just down at the bottom at 3,000. It was, you know, went from 20,000 to 3,000. That was a huge blow. So there's really nowhere else to go but up from here for Bitcoin yeah. in terms of price and growth. Do so you think
1: at, even at 10,000 people should be buying Bitcoin?
0: I think that Bitcoin is cheap under 100,000 because there's yeah, only right. 21 million of these things that'll ever be.
1: Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's that's fascinating. And, and I think that you know, uh, the twins totally agree with you. I think the number of they used to say was two hundred and fifty thousand and other people I, I did an, uh James Altucher, uh, the other day I think he says Bitcoin to a million. Yeah, but so, you he, know James people... Altacher
0: doesn't even know anything about Bitcoin. He says that <laughs> to sell to sell
1: products. <laughs> He's fascinating. But anyways, yeah, so you know I, I think that's an interesting point. but when when Facebook does launch it, it, it it there's a lot of questions to that. I mean, they are such a dominant monopoly in the world as it is. If they have a form of money it's a scary proposition true Um, story and uh and so that's something i've been talking about a lot in in the interviews um and you know yeah i think uh there are old world journalists and it's a generational thing who will not get away from the idea that this is some sort of scheme or scam or manipulation um i don't get that from newer people you know tech journalists people like that they they don't say that at least i mean they might have issues with bitcoin but idea that it's like a scam um that only comes from sort of you know an older type of journalist that, i feel
0: like that largely that largely went away and yeah. going through the, the the litigation with them over the past nine months did you did you foresee that happening in any
1: way the litigation being what
0: with me and them
1: oh so the story you know i didn't know if you wanted to talk about it, so the story of of them and you got complicated it i got I really
0: complicated yeah <laughs> uh
1: um uh, you know, I, I I didn't see that coming. I didn't know about it, you know, until I read about it uh, and then uh, and then asked you, know, you and them. And, and there was never really any, you know, just a one sentence thing where they, they felt one way and, and you disagreed, I guess is the best way to put it, right? I'm a guy who always wants everyone to love everyone else. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that. And uh, I, I I hope one day there's sort of a rapprochement and you guys are all all buddies. Who knows if that's... A possibility maybe they'll come on your show one day and and talk about it but um i will say you know the twins are 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 really really sharp and they're intense and they are big believers in right and wrong and if they feel they've been wronged it's something they don't give up on which i respect and which is one of the reasons i think they're such central characters is that i do respect that that feel of, of the world i've always said like if mark zuckerberg it wasn't about money. It was about the lying, the duplicity, And if Mark had simply said, you know, I'm going to launch something and, you know, it, and, it, and it had been apologized to them, none of this would ever happen. Um, so they are driven by this very kind of hardcore belief in right and wrong and not being wrong. So I don't know. I don't want to get into the specifics. Of no, you're right. With them because, um, you know, it's 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 not my place to be. But I will say um, the story of, of the three of you is so compelling because of these differences and because where you went from and where you ended up, it's an incredible arc. I really want yeah. to
0: maintain good relations with them and at least be able to go and have a beer and, and laugh about all the stuff that had happened down the road.
1: Right. And, and that's, you know, that's that would my be great. Goal. And, and I think that the stories that you can tell from the origins and the beginnings of, of Bitcoin are just so, Important, you know, and and um, we'll go down in the mythology of it. Um, this is what's interesting. Yeah.
0: This is and go back to another conversation before. Um, the 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 current crypto world, I feel like, is trying to whitewash the history mm. of where Bitcoin came from. That's why your book is so important. And I'm getting whitewashed over whatever and in, in in the. Um, in a lot of the, and that's okay, whatever, Um, in the current, like, people that are running companies and CEOs and stuff, but so is theirs. Like, like, how they are very integral to the early days of Bitcoin because until they got involved, no one took Bitcoin seriously. Right. And so they're very important in the history, but I still feel like people now in the crypto space don't give them enough credit for that
1: i mean i think that's exactly right and i and i, I you're making a very good point and which is the reason i hope that your followers and and the people who are listening get bitcoin billionaires out there not not just saying that self-interestedly but people like Barry Silver people like that should be tweeting about this book because this book is is putting those stories forward this is the true story of how bitcoin came to be and you and the twins and and other why don't
0: they want it to be done? roger
1: and why? eric and silk road all of these stories i can see you know these are the basic principles of, of where it all came from and you know satoshi is somewhere in this book I, I feel like this is the story that should get out there in a big way and is starting to get out there i mean i'm a, i'm, I'm a, my audience is a mainstream audience not a crypto audience my audience is you know, high school kids and college kids are hopefully going to be reading this book over the next summer. Um, and I'm hoping that that it really does reframe it. I can also I can see why people from Wall Street might, you know, as they are getting into Bitcoin for the first time right now, want to not talk about some of those things. I get it. You know, just as the people who are investing in Facebook at the IPO certainly would not have wanted to talk about the lawsuits and, and you know, Eduardo and, and. uh zuckerberg getting groupies in the bathroom at harvard right that's not the stories they'd want told either um but i feel like it was so important to facebook you know the social network built facebook in a large way the reason he was on time magazine cover of time and the reason zuckerberg was on saturday night live was because of the social network and similarly if bitcoin is going to change the world a book like my book or or the origin story of bitcoin that mythology is what gets you to a large movie and gets you to, you know, everyone. Mainstream right. It world. gets you to the grandmothers living in the Midwest understanding what Bitcoin is. It's not
0: When a Bitcoin big, movie comes out, your book is going to be that
1: movie. That's, that's the goal. And I, think, and I think this book, it's really getting a lot of attention right now, but it's going to grow. And hopefully the crypto community realizes the importance of these stories, of your story, the Winklevoss stories, as much as they want to see Bitcoin somewhere, they need to know that these stories are the ones that are going to sell it um and that are going to build it you know it's the it's the it's the origins of it it's like it's like the Avengers, you know it's like the Marvel Universe is built off of those movies, and then you can go off in all the different directions of all each character, but that basic story is the thing that sells it and makes it big.
0: How was writing this book different than writing some of your yeah, own? yeah, well,
1: I mean, I will say you know every book is 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 dramatically different because of the way I write my books is as, as you know personally is I first reach out to the people in it and I try and sit down with them and then get them to just tell me stories and I don't yet know where those stories are going to fit in until I hear their stories and then I try and build an outline um, create these arcs using the stories so for this book first of all, I didn't know anything about Bitcoin. I'd never had any interest in writing about Bitcoin. Over the past few years, I've gotten so many pitches and so many emails, people saying, you should write about Bitcoin. And I was like, One of them may have
0: been I mean, mine. I mean, it's, uh,
1: maybe. I don't know. I can look <laughs> back through. But a lot of people would pitch me. And every time I said, you know what? I don't know anything about it. The word blockchain is the worst word ever invented. It makes my eyes glaze over. It's just horrible. <laughs> and then the math and
0: it literally sounds so dry and you know
1: i I can't and i can't do that but then when i saw that it was the winklevoss twins were the first billionaires and i had already written about them and then it, it segued into your story and i was like well there's another you know compelling drama here um in a lot of ways you make the whole story work um because you know it's 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 really it's their story and how they became billionaires in this world but it intersects with your story and your arc, which is both a cautionary tale, but also brings out that other side of the Bitcoin story, the um, libertarians yeah. and all of that. It really works in such a dramatic way. So for this story, I mean, I was blown away by it. It took uh, you know, a few months of, of of really digging to get to everybody and, and then the writing. Um, I don't know. I, I love it. I feel like it's, it's it perfect for me to write because it captures both. I like to write about young people who are brilliant, who don't follow the rules, who kind of break with the establishment. But it also has that kind of, that, that you know, the Winklevoss twins. It has something that anchors it in, in, a, in a sort of celebrities who are larger than life, who are almost myth, have a mythic quality to them. Like I say, they're like Greek gods in a lot of ways, you know, mirror twins. Um, so it had so many elements to it. Um, but it was also a matter of picking the small story out of the big story. You know, I don't like to tell just a vast story of Bitcoin. My goal was to tell this story of the twins and you, and and where it goes. And and I think that.
0: What's your favorite one? My
1: favorite book. Your favorite. In story. this story. In and this Bitcoin Billionaires. Wow. I mean, <laughs> I will say I love the scene where they take you to a party. I know you're, you know, the Bulgarian model, whatever. But I feel like that's such a fun scene. It's great. Um, the the scene where they meet you for the first time in the bakery is awesome. Uh,
0: it was funny because um and um it was funny because the way you described it, um there were some parts that were like extremely accurate than some part of the you know were very novelesque, but like when we were sitting in a circle in my office drinking the Neft and literally yeah. passing the bottle around me, Eric, Cameron, and Tyler, like that was very true, and then Eric and I had strategically planned that meeting. Because who has a business meeting on a Saturday night in Manhattan at <laughs> nine o'clock when we both live right. in Brooklyn? We strategically did that in the hopes that we'd get invited out with them to do something that's else.
1: Awesome.
0: And that's and yeah. that's what happened. And when we got to the first party, you know, we thought this was the end all be all. This party was it. This was this was it. Like, and so we were just happy to be there. And we right. were just like kids in candy stores. So as soon as we got there, Cameron and Tyler had walked away to meet and greet with whoever they wanted to meet and greet with. And Eric and I were just standing in the corner drinking free booze and playing <laughs> ping pong. It was a ping pong table. And uh, and eventually I forget if it was Ca- I think it was Tyler. Tyler walked. No, because Tyler had left. He came back later. Cameron walked over to us and he was like, yeah, this this party is whatever. Like we're going to leave soon. And then we just end up yeah, playing ping pong with him. That's awesome. It was just—it was kind
1: of funny how the yeah and the switch gears. The other scene that was really—I mean—involving you that I that I loved writing was the your arrest, you know, in the airport because there's it's such a first of all it's a thriller esque scene, but it's also this moment where it it takes you by so much shock. I feel like yeah, um, it did, and, and it's it's intense and it's like it brings home the fact that you know the idea that you could even be arrested for this seems crazy, right? Um,
0: I remember, I remember what I even wore on the plane before I was arrested. I remember specific small details of when I was arrested. When well, I can't even remember what shirt I wore yesterday.
1: Right. Wow. I mean that's it's it's just one of those moments. And um and then overall in the book I also loved, you know, the initial scene where they're the settlement scene, so the the scene that wasn't in the social network that I didn't know back then where the twins and Mark are in this mediation situation. This is, I wrote this for Vanity Fair. So if you picked up last month's Vanity Fair, it was um, my story in there. But it was this wild moment where they had been negotiating forever and and Cameron was finally like, let's just sit down, the two of us with Mark Zuckerberg and just talk it out. And so they bring this to Zuckerberg's lawyers and Zuckerberg's lawyers come back and say, "Uh, you know, he says, okay, but he has some concerns. And they're like, what kind of concerns? And they, well, security concerns. And it turns out Mark was afraid they were going to beat him up. <laughs> so he it's a real was, concern. So he said, I want just one of you to come in, as if one of them couldn't beat up <laughs> Zuckerberg. So it ended up being a negotiation. It was Cameron and Zuckerberg alone in a glass room. And all the lawyers sat in a circle around the glass room in case something happened. Um, and that to me was such a vivid uh, description of Was what they talked
0: about allowed to be like on record or was it like a actual private conversation?
1: Yeah. So, well, Cameron, you know, it told it to me afterwards, it wasn't recorded. Uh, But basically it was this weird negotiation system where it was back and forth where Cameron was basically saying, you know, we're not saying we created Facebook, but we were there and, you know, we were involved to some degree and Mark is sort of going back and forth with them. And that's, he comes out of the meeting, Cameron thinking, well, they might've gotten to an agreement while the instant messages that come out later tell us that Mark really was thinking of fucking them in the air. <laughs> and so it's kind of this it's a really interesting moment and 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 i and I if I had known it when I wrote Accidental billionaires, it certainly would have been a, a scene in a social network. um but it's it's this and it's the beginning of this story because it's from there that we get to them going to Ibiza and finding Bitcoin.
0: Will you write a third book on this?
1: I mean, I would love to, you know, I love trilogies. We'll see where all you guys end up. <laughs> you know? I don't know where you're going. I don't know where they're going. I don't know where Bitcoin's going yet. The- I believe Bitcoin is is a, is going to be part of our future. I've become, and this is something, you know, I when I sat down to write this book, I didn't know anything about Bitcoin. I do believe that, you know, Bitcoin has a place and that cryptocurrency certainly makes sense. You're not going to be walking around with wallets 25 years from now. Sure. Uh, and, That's and, and, a very and, yeah, interesting
0: point that you make right there, actually.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's 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 it seems to be very clear that money is already mostly digital. Um, that that the only money you actually have is what's in your wallet. You know, you go to the bank and you deposit it. There's not some big vault full of cash. It immediately turns into ones and zeros. So the idea of it being digital is already here. Then the next question is: Is it going to be one government, or is it going to be something that's just peer to peer? And that makes more sense to me too because. You know, if I'm going to send you a dollar, why does there have to be someone between us? Oh, you're, you're 100% right. Right. So those things make sense to me, and I see that as the future. Um, so that was something I learned from writing this book. And, you, know, you know, whether it's Bitcoin or whether it's Facebook's coin or whether it's Amazon's coin, I can't be, the, you know, answer that question. But it's certainly going to be some form of peer to peer digital money.
0: Where did some of the other protagonists or subjects of your other books end up?
1: Well, it's, it's a great question. So Bringing Down the House was my first successful book about the MIT blackjack team. Yes. And the, it, you know, had a system to beat blackjack, and, and they won $6 million using math uh, in a card counting system. So those guys have all done really well. One of them, the main character's real name is Jeff Ma, and he went, ended up selling a company to Twitter. So he was at Twitter for a while. Now he's on his own. I don't believe, I don't know what he's doing right now, but he's in Silicon Valley doing something out there. Um, another kid in the book writes for television has done very well with that. Um, other books of mine, uh, I mean, there is still, by the way, an MIT blackjack team. So there still are people who train and, and go out there and, and beat, beat Vegas. Playing Interesting. Blackjack. Are they allowed mm-hmm. to? Yeah, they allowed to? to. I mean, it's not illegal, but the casinos will kick you out if they catch you. Um, and, and in the book, they got beat up a couple of times. But in real life, you won't get beat up anymore, but you will get kicked out. Um, as long as you pay your taxes, you, it's legal. Um, but the casinos frown upon it um other characters from other books i mean we know where everybody from the facebook story is i think yeah eduardo's off in singapore with his seven billion dollars and <laughs> sean parker is is in uh, i don't know what he's doing what
0: is sean parker he, doing
1: well he made a lot of money and then he, he's trying to he has one company that was trying to disrupt hollywood by uh, making first-run movies in your house in a home theater I think he had one project. Oh, was,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah! It was like two hundred and fifty grand or something, yeah, or fifteen thousand like a month. And
1: you I get think, was he involved with Spotify? I don't remember, but I know he he made some pretty good investments. Have there. you
0: have you had any correspondence or heard from Mark in any of your books or any of that? No, so
1: I have not specifically Mark. I ran to Cheryl Sandberg at my college reunion. We were classmates, and Cheryl at first, oh you know, cool, she said, uh, and she and I are friends, uh, are friendly. Um, acquaintances yeah and i have a lot of respect for cheryl i think she's she's a brilliant person who got caught up in something that you know isn't her fault really but then she um had to be involved (laughs) i guess is the way to put it but um she said at first they all hated me and there was pictures of the book and they would throw darts at it
0: No, they all
1: went to the movie you know they actually took a bunch of facebook employees and and they saw the value of the social network um you know to mark into their world and so in the end she was very nice and we had a great conversation. I don't know what she thinks of this book because I think this book takes a harder aim at Zuckerberg. Um, it really does. So I, I don't know if she still is going to be nice to me next time we see her. I
0: think I, they're going to be throwing Bitcoin billionaires. Right. But then they then they met with Cameron and Tyler a well, few that's weeks the story.
1: ago. I mean, that was reported by, you know, I didn't report that initially, um, but that was reported by British press, I think, at first, that they sent a team over to Gemini to talk about crypto. Um, I don't know whether or not that happened. I don't have any proof right now, but oh, it sounds like
0: they it made it made it sound like Mark and them sat in a room well, I mean, I about- I
1: see it as this personal battle between them and I think there's no way it isn't, but um but you know, who knows if that's if that's happened, if they've actually sat down with Mark. So Mark, I've talked to people who are pretty high up at Facebook and uh, it's it's it seems fine. I don't know now after this book came out. But, you know, I think he understood that eduardo's story and the twins story you know we're gonna come out and we're part of it and uh and he was a college kid then and he's much older now i'm sure i think he regrets some of the stuff that he said and did back then um, i'm sure yeah but uh
0: um, but we were all kids in college and right. didn't, didn't said stupid things. right
1: everybody at 18 19 you know wouldn't want to record what you did when you were in 18 19 no, um, you i get that i get that um but you know when you start a billion dollar company when you're that age it's going to get recorded. <laughs> and, so, and you're similar when you're going to launch something in the crypto space to the degree that you did. Unfortunately, the things you did when you were 19 become part of history. So it's interesting. But What's next for you? Yeah, I don't know my next book. I'm looking for my next story. So maybe one of your listeners has my next story. Um, it's always this process of sort of looking through all the different pitches and ideas. and And, and I need something big. You know, Bitcoin is so big. Um, that it has to be, but I think I'm going to be running you around keep, with this book for a while. I have a feeling is, you keep setting high standards. No, it's yourself. tough. You write a book and then you want to top it each time. I do think this story is one that I will be walking around with for a while because it's really just coming out now, and it's summer. But this is also a big college book, um, so I see the fall as being a big time for this book. Um, so I have a feeling I'll be talking about this book for a little while. But I, I'm looking; my eyes are open. You know, if Satoshi wants to come to me, I'm there. <laughs>
0: Well I think I think now especially with this book I mean it was good it was with with uh, bringing down the house in busting Vegas but with then the Facebook bu- the Facebook book Facebook book the Facebook mm-hmm. book <laughs> mm-hmm. really put you on the map but I think now people are saying I have a crazy story and Ben is the only one who could tell it. Oh
1: well, I like to hear that and I've also been called the billionaire's best friend so I get a lot of calls <laughs> in that realm. I mean I, I'm always looking for great exciting stories and people who are brilliant who do something um different and crazy and 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 it kind of changes the world so that's that's what I'm always looking for and uh and I'm open to it yeah
0: well in a few weeks I'm going to be driving up to to Maine to spend a few months over the summer so I'll when I drive through through uh New England I'll give you a shout
1: fantastic absolutely do and I'd love to take you out to dinner here in Boston as I, I you know I think you're a fascinating character and I was you know I
0: have to meet your mother. And you have
1: to meet my mother. She would love you. And I want to say <laughs> I, I'm so appreciative that you opened up to me, um, you know, for this book and, and told me things that I know were personal and intense. And I hope I hope a lot of people read this book and, and get to know you, um, things that you may like and things that you may not like them reading. But I think overall, it's it's a really empathetic and, and, and compelling um, story. So I hope people read it. And I do hope it becomes... You know the the people in the crypto realm do tweet about it because they should, and and you're a part of this. History. They will.
0: The crypto space is, is is slower to accept things from outsiders.
1: I get that, and uh, and when you hear from Eric and Roger, let me know what they think.
0: <laughs> I will. I'll definitely let you know. And yeah. and um for anyone who's listening, um you could buy it on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, your local bookstore. Yeah, that was crazy. I was in my local airport. The book was right there in the Hudson News.
1: That's, you should so have signed it. Just put your name in there. It no one has
0: asked me to sign it yet, but
1: gotta I've been... copies. You know, uh, at uh, I've I've heard about authors who go to airports and just bring a pen and just sign their book and the, while it's there, oh, you got to sign a few because those will be worth something.
0: A lot of people on Sixty Minutes have been seeing me on the street and like picking my. I didn't realize how many people watch Sixty Minutes.
1: Oh yeah, eleven million people watch that show. That's a big show. It was crazy. So. Stories are only going to get bigger. We've got some other big shows coming up. So Fantastic. I can't say what they are yet, but uh, I'll be tweeting about it. But thank you so much. I really appreciate this, Charlie.
0: Thank you, Ben. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories go live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. EST. Links to our Apple and Spotify channels are in the show notes. You can also follow me on Twitter, Charlie Shrem, to continue the conversation. See you next week.